Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It's been a wild week in the world and not so wild in the world of hockey specifically, but we've got some updates about the Devils as well as the next five names of our top 25, under 25. And John Fisher is with me as he is for every episode. How are you doing, John? I'm doing as well as I can in an unseasonably warm day in New Jersey. Exactly. And uh, I just want to take the start of this episode to, you know, we're a hockey podcast, but, you know, hockey's a sport and sports are at their core entertainment. And since we are in the entertainment business, it seems only fitting to pay tribute to a giant in entertainment uh, who's been a staple on television for the last 30 years. You know, if you've been a Devils fan watching them on TV this whole time, there's a strong chance you've at least stumbled across a few pre-dinner episodes of Jeopardy. And uh, we're recording this on Sunday. And this morning, Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy for over 30 years, sadly passed away, surrounded by friends and family. And um, as someone who spent a lot of time watching Jeopardy, watching Alex do his thing up there, you know, I said as much on Twitter, but I just want to thank him for his years of poise, his charisma, his intelligence, uh, his his real like his curiosity for all these topics that he talked about with his contestants, their, his genuine interest in their lives and really the the curiosity he grew in all of us that watched him as we learned more and more from him each day. So I want to thank him for his contribution to American education, his contribution to you know, discourse about intellectual curiosity and really just being a a stand-up character throughout his life. And I hope he rests in peace. And that's my little tribute to um, to Alex Trebek. But yeah, it's a sad day. But you know, I, I think I think he affected a lot of lives in a very important way, and I think he knew that. So rest in peace to him, and best wishes to his family and friends it's you know really tough year for everyone but this is a big big loss that will be felt for years to come so on that note let's transition away from the jeopardy talk until there's a devil's question on jeopardy again there has been every once in a while and let's go back into talk about our new jersey devils directly as there is some international play news that concerns some devil's prospects but not much of it. Some involving one of the prospects drafted in 2020, actually. Well, two of them, actually. Mm-hmm. So the big one is about the third one, the controversial of the three first-round picks by the New Jersey Devils, Shakir Mukamadulin. He has been exceptional in the international game as the Russian team and the Finnish team um, – and some other European teams, their under-20 teams have been competing in the traditional Karjala Cup. The Karjala Cup is basically a tournament that is kind of like a pre, like a warm-up tournament for the World Junior Championships, which are still slated to be held around um, Christmas and New Year's later this year. Mm-hmm. And so the Russian teams, Finnish teams, and the other teams that participate in this use this tournament to basically get their World Junior Championship lineups together see people who are on the bubble and and give them an opportunity to basically prove themselves before being named and selected to go play in the biggest under 20 tournament in the world. And Mr. Mukamadulin has not only been featured for the Russian national team at the under 20 level, but he's been leading them in ice time among all the defensemen, which Hmm. is pretty impressive considering this is a crew that does include Daniil Cheka, Roman Bichkov, Kirill Kirsa, Kirina, Kirsa, ah, Kirill Kirasanov, who's an 2020-21 L- 
eligible. Samon Chistayakov, who's who was drafted by Nashville. I mean, making the Russian national team at any level is always a difficult thing to do because as much as you and I have pointed out in Russian hockey culture, you know, it's not like they get big minutes in professional games, but they take their international teams very seriously. And to be getting 20 minutes a night, even in this exhibition tournament, is really impressive. It also helps that Russia has won all three of their games in the tournament. Disappointing Finnish head coach Juka Jelonen, who commented a week prior, Speaking frankly, we have no interest in playing against a U-20 team. We'll play if we have to, but we couldn't care less. <laughs> Considering his team lost, I'm going to go. I'm going to suggest he may not feel the same way right now. But Muka Madulin and actually Arseny Gritsiuk has also was also on this team, playing on a third, you know, like middle six minutes. So um, it bodes well that there will be some Devils representation at the World Junior Championships this year. Assuming, of course, we have the World Junior Championships this year. Yeah, that's always something that's uh, kind of up in the air at this point. But I did see Gritsuk get robbed on a shot. Um, I think it was like in the middle of the game at some point, but he was on a breakaway and got robbed. But he got the opportunity there at least. And... That's right. He's cre- he's creating a breakaway. Mm-hmm. That's a positive. So that's already a positive. And Shakir Mukhamadoulin getting big minutes, like you said, is a big deal for the Devils who need that kind of you know presence from their defensive prospects. And ideally, you know, he expands his minutes on the team that he already plays on. Um, I think it's Ufa, right? He plays on? Yes. Mm-hmm. Salavata Ulayev Ufa. He plays um, roughly 13 minutes a game. He's like seventh among the, the eight defensemen that they've been playing, but it's more than the three minutes on average he got last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, keep growing, keep improving. And these tournaments, you know, while they may not all go on in full, I, I, I would hope that these prospects are trying their best in the time of oh, yeah. tournaments and not really, you know, worrying about the state of the world around them. Cause once they get in that building, there's really nothing they can do about it. Not only that, but you know, this is, this could be their only opportunity to play in the under 20 tournament. I mean, yeah. eventually you're going to turn 20, you know, and there's always going to be players beneath you that could push you for spots. For example, Kirasanov, whose name I butchered not that long ago, finished behind Muka Madulin in minutes, and he's a 2021 eligible. Mm -hmm. And again, Russia turns out professional players on a regular basis. So don't think that Muka Madulin, who could be 19 and eligible next year, has a guaranteed safe spot, you know, when you start figuring that if Kurosanov gets drafted, Cheka's definitely going to get drafted. And then you got prospects from the uh, the 2022 eligible draft class they're going to start appearing on these international teams he's probably safe provided that he doesn't you know make a bajillion mistakes at the at on defense at the next at the international level and of course if he stays in russia the entire time as well that will also help his cause since the russian international teams take their russian players very seriously oh yes yes so unless you're like unless you're that rare super talent then no they're they're gonna keep it in-house yeah that's true too that that is more and more rare these days because a lot of those guys end up you know playing in the ohl early a lot of them do come over just to get started in north america and get adjusted to north american ice a bit earlier um that that's been like a recent uh, pretty recent thing but uh for the most part yeah you you want him to be getting minutes there and he is so congratulations to him and also um we had some news about uh yaramir pitlick Yes, one of those European players that made the adjustment over to the OHL to get adjusted to North American hockey and get in front of more scouts and improve his chances getting drafted. Well, um, you can blame it on the coronavirus. You could blame it on the fact it's just an exhibition game, but he was among the 10 under 20 players 
as in guys under the age of 20, to make the roster of the Czech national team, mm-hmm. the actual men's Czech national team. They had a exhibition game against Russia today. And um, as I understand it, Pit, uh, Pitlick made his debut. Now, granted, in hockey, it's not as like, say, soccer, where making your international debut is a you know massive deal, you know, but Pitlick played 14 minutes and 15 seconds. And albeit they were largely in, you know, third line, fourth line, maybe some special teams minutes. Mm-hmm. That's a that's still a roster that still featured Philip Ronick, Adam Raska, Michael Tepley, Jan Mishak, who is also drafted in this past draft class. So, I mean, the, you know, this check, this is a Czech national game. And, you know, I, I, I got to think this bodes well for Pitlick, Pitlick's chances of making the under 20 team for the world junior championship right. as well. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you're good enough to play with the men, you're probably good enough to play at the under 20 level. I mean, and the OHL situation being up in flux definitely oh, helps yeah. contribute to his chances there as well. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as much as you want to keep the politics out of sport, unfortunately in Ontario, the politics will be the sport for the next month or so as you've got the premier of Ontario saying, yeah, there should be hitting. And then the minister of sport saying, no, there shouldn't. And as we discussed last week, this is kind of like not really the big issue, the big elephant in the room here that they should be dealing with, with respect to limiting the virus. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, this is a question I have for you. And I just want to get your, your, your two cents on this, Dan. Isn't it weird that, Canadian Major Junior Hockey, you know, they're governed by the Canadian Hockey League and they have three separate leagues. Isn't it weird that all three leagues just have a completely different approach to this virus? Yes, it's very bizarre. <laughs> you would think that they want to keep everybody consistent here. Well, especially they... because, well, what, like one of the hallmarks of that league, right, is when the winner of each league gets to play in a tournament against each other. Right. Around ro- the Memorial Cup, a mm-hmm. big round robin, you know, big, you know, Big event in Canada, huge event in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not win a Stanley Cup, but if you can win a Memorial Cup, hey, you know, I'm not saying that's the second best thing, but it's pretty close to it, Dan. Yeah. It, it, and it, we'll see. I mean, like, until they standardize it, it's hard to envision a Memorial Cup even happening. Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre that Quebec has basically just taken the, what I'm going to call the KHL approach of just saying, eh, we'll deal with it as it happens. Mm-hmm which has led to, you know, two entire divisions of teams shutting down for two weeks. And I have zero idea of how you can even maintain that. It's not like the virus magically stops in November. Um, Because guess what? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you got Ontario, regardless of the whole hitting debate that's going to be happening, you know, they're not going to start their season until February. And then the Western Hockey League, which is probably the most contentious in the sense that it's got, I think, the most teams in America. It's got... Uh, at least four teams in America, Dan. And it covers the most ground since it goes from, you know, Manitoba and Saskatchewan all the way to British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> they're, they're just going to start in January with no changes. As, as far as I'm aware, nothing about hitting and nothing <laughs> about, you know, travel. Reg- I think, no, that's not true. They are going to limit the travel regulations. I know they're going to basically do like, major divisions and like keep everything interdivisional to limit the travel. So this way you don't have to worry about Portland Winterhawks traveling up to Prince Albert and bringing Lord knows what with them, either from Portland or from Prince Albert and bringing it to the other place. I do know in the QMJHL, at least they took uh, seven teams, I believe that are in more 
uh, red zones in terms of the virus spread. I think this news came out early this morning as well. Uh, seven teams that were more in the red zone of virus spread and put them in a bubble. Okay, so they their bubble. So they're doing a mid mid season bubble. At least seven teams, one of which is uh, Dawson Mercer's uh, uh, Shakutami team. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So that's that's really what that is. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how they adapt to it, but it's hard to envision one yeah. big you know gathering of these prospects. And uh, speaking of big gatherings of prospects. We yeah. have the continuation. Did you like that one? Yeah, good segue. Thank you. You get a gold star today, Dan. Thank you very much. Okay, so continuing our list of the top 25 prospects, under 25, and we are on numbers 16 through 20. And this is where stuff starts getting pretty interesting because we see some names beginning right around this range, which, you know, these are players that aren't foreign to Devils fans. These are players that... Devils fans have heard their names before, even on a Devils broadcast. And so it's time to see how they stack up against the charge coming behind them and what they can do and what their perception is in the organization as well. And I think that with these next five names, like they vary in the range of what their NHL readiness is. But just looking at this, we have two college players and we have three players who have seen at least one game with the New Jersey Devils. So let's start with number 20 on our list, who is Tyce Thompson, a big, big riser. Not only a big riser, maybe one of the biggest in the history of the list. Like he jumped 24 spots. He was 44th last year. He was an overage draft pick. He, he did fine, but you know, he was just drafted. You know, you, what do you get? What are you expecting at him? Not very much. Well, it turns out, Dan, when you're the third highest scorer in the entire country, <laughs> college <laughs> hockey, People pay attention to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was named to the All Hockey Second Team, the All USHCO, which is U.S. College Hockey uh, uh, Resource um, Second Team for constantly on the score sheet. He was constantly playing with Jack Dugan, who was the leading scorer in the entire country. He's a, who just signed his ELC with Las Vegas earlier this year. Uh, junior forward Greg Prince, uh, Michael Callahan, sophomore defenseman, who also scored a boatload of points, and fellow Devils prospect Patrick Moynihan. And Thompson led the team in goals with 19, which is tied for the 11th most in the entire country last year. Uh, he was a semifinalist for the Walter Brown Award, which was the best American-born hockey player in New England, which does sound a bit specific, but given that college hockey is very heavy in, Nor- in New England, that's a big achievement. Mm-hmm. Like, just even being a semifinalist. He was a nominee for the Hobie Baker. He obviously didn't win it. And he, it's the kind of season that it's a legitimate breakout season. Um, you know, he's 21. Uh, you know, there is a question of now that Dugan, Dugan Dugan is now with Vegas is, you know, can Thompson do this without Dugan? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, and we'll find out soon since Hockey East is supposedly going to be starting their uh, season fairly soon, we could see him as a mainstay of the top 25 for the next couple years. Um, so people are legitimately happy. He's getting a lot of uh, additional attention and buzz because of the scoring and playing for, you know, being a reason why Providence was a very good team last year. So if it bears out, if he can sustain the gains, as I'd like to say, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to look forward to Tyce Thompson turning professional hope, hopefully after this coming uh, college year. Yeah, it was really, it's really cool to see how meteoric his rise was just in perception alone, based on one college season. But really you can see that that's all that makes a difference in this list specifically. It's, it's something that, you know, we make this list, fans make this list, and if you're hearing his name all the time in the college sphere, that's something that's a lot closer to us here in America as well. So, you know, you'll, you'll hear that popping up 
a bit more in context of North American skaters. Like you, you want them to be doing well in college. Like we hear more about, I would mm-hmm. say the college game than juniors at this point, uh, Absolutely. in terms of a day to day. And there are differences between the two. Whereas the juniors are better representative of what the NHL grind is like. You play 68 to 72 games, you have trades, you have, you know, drafts, you have, you know, all this, uh, you know, playoffs and stuff. But the college, the advantage is, that you're playing against men. You're not playing against 17 year olds who could grow an inch still. You're going up against fully developed, physically developed, I should say, men. And because there aren't as many games, you have a lot more practices. So if you're the sort of player that needs like additional time to work on your skills, guess what? You have that in college. You mm-hmm. don't necessarily have that in juniors. Um, or you're or in juniors, you have to figure it out while you're playing a competitive game that people would like you to win. Uh, you know, the stakes are a bit different, but you're absolutely right, Dan. If you have a big breakout season, it gets you really it can get you on the top 25 and keep you there for a little while longer, even if you had a rough season. And that's exactly what happened to our 19th player, mm-hmm. Arn Talvite. Yeah, um, the the Finnish uh, Penn State player. That's right. I mean, his 2018-19 season was utterly fantastic. He was point per game at Penn State before he went to the World Junior Championships with Finland. He captained the Finnish World Junior Championship team, which is in of itself a massive achievement. He put up three goals and four assists in seven games. Um, He tore his ACL and his right knee in the gold medal game. Yeah. He did return and played the rest of that game, which, I mean, he's got a gold medal. Like, so it's not like it was for nothing. But that ended his season effectively. Yeah, I can't imagine they were too happy with him in Happy Valley after that. (laughs) No, I mean, the honeymoon years of, you know, thank you, Terry Pegula, for buying us a hockey team have have long passed. Now there are, like, you know, expectations for Penn State (laughs) hockey. (laughs) Um, So Talvite, this was basically his comeback season after the knee injury. Um, It was kind of a rough season production-wise. He only put up 19 points in 30 games. He was seventh on the team in scoring. Um, it did take it did take some time for him to get going, so to speak. Um, I think the be- best benefit I could speak to is that Corey Massasak of The Athletic followed him around for a weekend and demonstrated an all-around good performance where, you know, he won face-offs, he moved the puck well, um, he killed penalties, he kept Cole Caulfield. On, they were playing Wisconsin that weekend, so he kept Cole Caulfield completely quiet. Uh, Massasak said he looked a lot like Blake Coleman out there, which, you know, hey, that's that's – that's not going to hurt your standing on the top 25 under 25 list. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's going to be a help here. But all, all that being said, it's not the type of season you kind of wanted for a guy who truly broke out. You kind of wanted to see him bounce back a little bit more than he did instead of just being the seventh leading scorer on your team. Um, it's just a particularly tough injury too, though. Exactly. Like it's not like basketball where, you know, you tear an ACL and then you might as well just kiss your career goodbye. Mm-hmm. I mean, but hockey, it's, it's still a significant injury, and there's definitely a question of can he fully can his speed fully recover? Like, will he ever be as fast as, as he once was? And that will be we remain to see in 2021. However, Talvite does have the possibility to do that, or at least be a bigger player on Penn State, since the team leading scorer was a senior last year. Their second and third leading scorer last season was a senior. There were other seniors on the roster. Like I think the seven forwards are graduating. So Talvite has an opportunity to be the big man on campus. And if he can do that, I think people will be more excited and hopeful, again, like Tyce Thompson, hopeful he signs an NHL contract after his junior year in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the other important factor with this pandemic is that these timelines to have these junior players and these college players sign 
uh, initial deals or else they, you know, can get redrafted. That changes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That changes a lot with the pandemic knocking out so many seasons because, you know, it becomes different, a completely different consideration for the teams. They don't get as many years of experience that they can look at and say like, yeah, this person's worth a contract or no, this person isn't. They're going to have to rely a lot more on, um, you know, scouting and internal assessments than they previously did. And unfortunately, with things like college and junior in Europe, you know, it's not as widely easily available to see on TV. Now, granted, Penn State plays in the Big Ten and they have their own network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they it might be a little easier to just say, yeah, we're just going to watch this one from afar on TV as opposed to going to Happy Valley and to whatever their arena is called. I wouldn't be surprised if it's named after Terry Pegula because, mm-hmm. you know, he bought he bought the, the, the program. Uh, <laughs> but but, you know, for Thompson, you know. If the pandemic is worse in New England than it is in Penn, central Pennsylvania, then, you know, that just throws that that's just another factor in all of this. So, mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, the next three on our list, actually looking yes. at them, they fit a very similar mold of triple A to quad A players, uh, yes. in, in my opinion here and in your opinion as well. And it seems like in our lists opinion, because number 18 is Brett Sini, who is the only one of the f- next three players to actually make the team out of camp at any point. That's right. Sini is 24 years old, and he did have a really good 2019-20 season. Like, he was Binghamton's top scorer. Yes, the, if you go to the AHL website, you'll see, you know, Yanni Kwakin, but he only played, like, six games for Binghamton. Mm-hmm. Um, he Among the Bingham, Binghamton players, he was their leading scorer. He had 19 goals and 25 assists in 20, 61 games. He played big minutes. Uh, he plays with an edge. He still had 66 penalty minutes uh, last season, which was second to the unlegendary Braden Baddock. Um, <laughs> Jeff and his panel, if you read all about the jersey, Jeff Ulmer focuses on the Binghamton Devils. He is native to Binghamton. He follows the team very closely, and his panel also follows the team closely. And they named him their top forward last season. So – Here's a question, Dan. Why do you think he fell four spots from where he was last year in this list? Well, because one year he made the team and the next he did not. <laughs> that, that you named it. <laughs> also, the other, I would have also accepted he's 24. Like he's basically, he's not really a prospect anymore. He's pretty much a finished product. But that kind of ties into what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, he played 51 games two seasons ago with the New Jersey Devils, and he was bad. Yeah, I mean, there's bad. no there's no sugarcoating it. Like, he yeah. made the team, yes, but he did not make a significant impact in New Jersey. No, and, you know, to be fair, 51 games is a lot better than a lot of other guys who, if I'm not mistaken, Sini was a late-round draft pick in his year. You know, there wasn't exactly a ton of hope for him. It's not like he came out of a powerful college. He came out of Merrimack. Uh, no disrespect intended to Merrimack, but you're not exactly a traditional hockey power like, say, Michigan or or Boston college here, you know, you have to work a little harder to get your notice. Um, so, I mean, credit to him to getting into 51 games, but he's not an NHL player. Like it, it was established in those 51 games, like his Corsi four percentage when he was on the ice, um, you know, it was 41% or just under 42%, I should say, which is terrible. It means you're not really helping the cause every time you're out on the ice, whatever energy you're bringing, it's, it's fueling the other side. <laughs> and most importantly, is that, as you said, he got 51 games two seasons ago, and last season he got, you want to guess the number, Dan? Three. Two. <laughs> he got two. 
game. Okay. Last year. Okay. <laughs> and that's and mind you, that's two games after doing very well with Binghamton in the AHL. So it's not like you know they're just bringing him in out to give him an opportunity. It's like, son, we're going to send you down, send you down to the minors, see what you can do. Well, he's doing his job, and it got him two ga- two games in the NHL last season for a very bad New Jersey Devils team. Right. That that pretty much tells you that management, you know, albeit now new, uh, quite, somewhat new with Tom Fitzgerald in the fold, but he he Cini is who he is at this point. And as you said, he's a he's basically a triple A quad A player, a guy who can be useful and good at the AHL level. But if you bring him up to the NHL level for any expanded amount of time, you know, you're not going to necessarily like the results. So, but nevertheless, I think this ranking is fairly fair. Mm-hmm. you know and i think, I think this think... binghamton season probably saved the ranking for him too like if you get that yes. precipitous drop that he had from making the team and playing 50 plus games to playing two games despite having one of the best seasons ever if you don't have one of the best seasons that you've had in binghamton then you're maybe even dropping into the 30s or 40s on this list absolutely well i wouldn't say the 40s per se i think he would have been one of those guys in that like 26 to 35 range okay. that kind of that's where like josh jacobs and colton white are okay okay uh, but you're absolutely right dan and if he didn't have the good season being and if it wasn't for the fact that because he is a forward because he is a fourth line spark plug guy he's one of those guys that if you need a forward in a pinch and you want to reward the guy for doing well we could see him in new jersey in in this coming season it may only be for one or two games but the fact that we could see Brett Cini in Newark is, you know, something a lot more confidence, I, I guess you could say, in that happening as opposed to a Josh Jacobs or a Colton White or um, some of the other guys that didn't make the top 25. So this is his final entry on the list. Again, he'll be 25 next year, so he won't be eligible by age anymore. Um, so congratulations, Brett Cini. You made it to the top 20 for a second straight year. Yeah, and the next two names that you mentioned, this category of I can see them getting some games in Newark and seeing them in a Devils jersey in Newark, these two guys coming up are ones that we very much not only would want to see, but for one of them, we would kind of need to see him in Newark to justify having him here any longer. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'll touch on that particular player a little bit later because I want to talk about number 17 first, who is Nathan Bastion. Mm-hmm. Nathan now, Bastion, Bastion, who is... Uh, one of the super buddies here. Well, yes, and he was the super buddy that had the better 2019-20 season compared to the other one. Um, we They're called the super buddies because they both played for Mississauga in the OHL mm-hmm. and were drafted in the same draft year by New Jersey back in 2016. So Bastion didn't play at all for the New Jersey Devils last season. I'd like to think if we didn't have a pandemic end the season by 11 or so games, we could have seen him for a couple just to see oh, what definitely. he could do. But, um, you know, he did get a call up two seasons ago where he played seven games and he looked really good, albeit in limited minutes as a right winger. But it left you thinking, okay, maybe this guy could hang. It also didn't help his cause that he also got injured. So it's sort of like you never really got to see the full Bastion's experience. You never want to go full Bastion. Well, maybe (laughs) you do, because uh, last season, even though, you know, Ben Street was named as the all-star of the Binghamton team or called up to the all-star game, I should say, initially. And, you know, Brett Cini was their leading scorer. Jeff and his panel named Bastion the team's MVP, Hmm. despite the fact that Bastion wasn't their first line right winger. But they praised him for being a consistent player 
throughout the lineup, which was changing quite a bit between injuries and, of course, the big changeover where Tom Fitzgerald told um, Dennehy, you know, you don't have to play like the New Jersey Devils. You can play however you'd like if it will help you win games. And lo and behold, <laughs> they won a lot of games. Got, <laughs> they, they started winning a lot more games <laughs> their way. That being said, Bastion did improve on his production for a third straight season. He put up 16 goals and 22 assists for 38 points. He was only behind Sini and Street for overall points with Binghamton. He took a fewer he took a couple fewer penalties, which is also nice. Um, and I think the biggest reason why I think he's still rated highly is the fact that his spot is now open. Like Joey Anderson now not being in the organization, the Devils need a right winger. You know, how about a six foot two guy who's been grinding it out in Binghamton and does a lot of those quote unquote little things in front of the net and being strong on the puck that, you know, old school coaches tend to like. You might, you, you know, Bastion's got a op- good opportunity here ahead of Marion Studenich and some others to make an NHL team next uh, season. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly like when he was drafted, I remember all the talk about him being like, he is a good, hardworking, gritty presence, which is something that you don't really typically want to hear. But he's kind of proved it at this point with the uh, the work he's put in. He he's the way he plays is very like hard nosed, and it, it is adding a little bit more skill than he had at the time of his draft, which is great. Yeah, I mean, and and I'll, I'll crib a little bit from Corey Prahman and Scott Wheeler of the Athletic, but they both note that the guy does have some some skill to his game. He he can handle the puck well. You know, he's not just one of those, you know, big beefy dudes that can just do a handful of things. The big concern with Bastion is going to be, can he handle the NHL speed, both in terms of the speed of the opposition and his own foot speed? Um, He's not exactly a particularly fast or quick player. But in those seven games from two seasons ago, he seemed to move okay. Um, And if you stick him in a fourth line lineup, while you expect more for your second round draft picks uh, than fourth line winger, but... NHL player is still an NHL player, and Bastion has a decent chance of being an NHL player at some point in this coming season. And I think that's a big reason why he comes in at 17 after falling, after finishing 13th last year. Like, again, last season people were high on Bastion. I ended up renaming him at 13th, actually, because mm. I actually do think he's got he's probably got the best chance out of the Binghamton guys to make the NHL roster, given the openings at right wing. Mm-hmm. Well, with that all being said, you know, you expect a lot from your second round uh, picks here, more than them being fourth liners. You certainly expect a lot more from your first round picks as well, as Michael McLeod brings us home here with this part of the list at number 16. And this is someone who, if he does not carve out his spot in New Jersey this year, especially given the position that he plays, you know, unless he transitions to a full time wing role, it is hard to see him sticking in New Jersey in any meaningful way. Yeah, this is going to sound like the way we're going to talk about him. And it's, you're going to at I think you, the listeners, the people that matter, of course, are going to wonder why the hell was he ranked 16th if you're going to be down on him so much? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, fun fact, Dan, out of all the votes, your vote, my vote, the other writers, the community survey, McLeod is the first person on the list where he's ranked in the everybody's top 25. Like every play, every person put him in 25. There was no outlier where they stuck something like say Bastion at 28 or, um, or Talvite. Actually. Yeah. The community put uh, Talvite, uh, at 25. In fact, and a couple guys took him off, uh, the 25, mm-hmm. um, you put him at 18th, by the way. Um, so you nailed that one. Um, actually, no, you didn't. You were off by one. You oh, didn't nail it. 
close. No gold star for you. Damn. But more seriously, I had one the, reason, <laughs> the reason, getting back to McLeod, the reason why we're down on him is because the expectations have been much higher. Because as you said, he's a first round draft pick. He was drafted 12th overall. And, you know, he did play NHL hockey in his first professional season. He put up, you know, 33 points in 55 games with Binghamton. And he did play 21 games in that 2018-19 season. Mm-hmm. And, However, last season, he put up a lower rate of production. He only put up 23 points in 47 games. So that's a drop of about 0.1 points per game, which is not something you want to see in their second season of pro hockey. No, It, it doesn't help that in both of those AHL seasons, just the AHL, you know, McLeod didn't even score 10 goals. I mean, and he didn't even have a run of production in the 2020 portion of the season when Binghamton got hot. So whereas guys like Yegor Sharagovich, Sharon Govich or Mikhail Maltsev got hot and started becoming more productive as the team was getting better. McLeod was just kind of, you know, consistently not giving you much. And when McLeod did play in the NHL, which was 21 games two seasons ago and 12 games last season up until the pandemic ending the season, he didn't do anything or rather he didn't do anything good. Uh, You know, similar to Sini, you know, the opponents liked it. (laughs) The opponents did well when McLeod was on the ice and, (laughs) And, and for whatever reason, like the devils just kept putting him at center and, and even to the point where the broadcast, like, you know, Steve, Steve and Dano are going on saying, oh, you know, the devils insist that they want him at center. They insist him as a center. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's getting killed on the ice every time he steps on the rink. The whole, he may be okay at playing defense, but the idea is you don't want to keep playing defense all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, this is not the sport where you can specialize defense and we're no longer in an era where you can be a checker. You kind of have to do everything pretty well to do well in this league. Especially to play center though. Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah commanding the middle of the ice and commanding your wingers which if you don't have strong you know strong play through the neutral zone if you're always on the back foot it's going to be hard to justify for a team that if the devils hadn't been lacking offense throughout their lineup then it wouldn't be as much of an issue but they are exactly and i honestly think he's a right-handed shot so i'm really surprised they don't just say you know mcclaude why don't you just play wing at least you'll be on the ice Mm -hmm. like you know, I, I take the football approach of, you know, you know, yeah, you may have been in one position in college, but, you know, you're playing pro ball. It's better to be on the field and getting paid than, you know, being the third stringer at your preferred position. Yeah, uh, if you're a quarterback in high school, go play wide receiver in college. Well, in many in some of those cases, it's absolutely fair because then you see the wide receiver throw a pass and you go, yeah, there's a reason why you're not a quarterback. Well, at this level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in any case. But but and that's kind of how it is in hockey, too. Like a lot of times the best players in junior are typically playing center. But then you go up a level and they say they you quickly realize you're not good enough to play this position. That's why we're moving you to wing. And sometimes this even happens with really, really great talents like Patrick Elias was drafted as a center. He played the majority of his career at left wing. You only move back to center out of necessity. Um you know, did that mean Patrick Eliash was not a good hockey player? No, like it's it, it, it's a function of you're just better at left wing. And for McLeod, he may truly be better as a winger where he doesn't have these responsibilities. However, the lack of offense, uh, both in terms of the generation of offense, as we could see through Corsi and shots and expected goals, as well as actual production, does not suggest very well that he will help out with offense very much. I think I think a lot of the, I think. Again, you don't want to give up on a first-round draft talent. And we discussed this several weeks ago about how he's going to be up for his second contract soon. And I don't think Fitzgerald is just going to let him go free. I think a lot of people think he could still do it. But I think he's approaching that John Quenville territory of 
show me something now. Mm-hmm. I think he's ranked consistently in the top 25 because I think people understand, yourself and myself included, that McLeod is probably going to get some NHL time in this coming season. Like, you can't just write him off completely. He'll get another opportunity. And with Lindy Ruff as head coach and Mark Recchi also behind the bench, maybe that he, they can help McLeod out more than we think he could be helped out at this point. Um, he is the same age as Bastion. So, I mean, if you have hopes for Bastion, then in theory you can have hopes for McLeod. It's just that Bastion has been trending up because he's been playing well in Binghamton last season, whereas McLeod is trending down because he was a disappointment last season. And even Jeff and his panel are like, come on, man, you're a first round draft pick. We kind of expect more, more than just like 27, 23 points. Mm-hmm. Come on, man, get it together. So, yeah. you know, he'll, he's at 16 now, but unless he can establish himself in the NHL or at least dominate the AHL, like Brett Cini, even well, maybe dominates a strong word, but play like Brett Cini did last season. Otherwise there's a good chance McLeod is going to slip to the twenties and maybe even off the top 25 by, by it's all said and done. And is he going to be someone that becomes a, trade casualty is he going to be someone that another team looks at and thinks maybe we could do something with this guy if it doesn't work out in new jersey uh i don't know that necessarily that was the case for joey anderson but it did look you know more and more difficult for him to carve out a consistent spot on in the lineup so does mcleod fall in the same boat you think and could he be used in a similar style trade that the devils um you know sent anderson off in well I did mention John Quenville earlier, and I think that's kind of McLeod's situation at this point. Now, Quenville was traded. So to answer right. your question, he can be traded. The problem is that John Quenville was traded for John Hayden and not a useful hockey player. Hmm. So I wouldn't expect McLeod to be anything more than just like a guy you throw into a larger package or you make a trade for just like another marginal player in the lineup that maybe you like better for whatever reason, whether that's you want the beef of John Hayden to be useless on, in the lineup, or if you want like another borderline quadruple A call-up player, you know, just to like th- this way you're not necessarily having to ask the Sharon Govichs or the Studeniches or the Maltzes to say, "Hey, we need you in New Jersey, so we hope you're ready." Um, I, that's the that's the sort of trade I would anticipate for McLeod at this point, unless again another team just thinks McLeod is this great player, and for whatever reason New Jersey hasn't developed him properly. Which, unfortunately, he's 22. I mean, it's almost gonna like it's gonna be too little, too late at that point from a development point of view. Well, and to be fair, with that criticism, New Jersey has had a tough time developing prospects recently. Yes and no. I mean, you know, I mean. This is like a classic chicken or the egg argument. Yeah, like, yeah. Is it is it the organization or is it the player? Yeah, you know? no, I get that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you look at a guy like Bastion, for example, and you know, the Jeff and his panel point out he's consistent, he's putting a good effort every night. Whereas McLeod, they're not seeing the results, like on the score sheet or even in the run of play. They're mm. not as impressed by his lack of consistency and lack of presence. You know, you, I mean, fair or not, you expect more out of the first round draft pick as opposed to a seventh round draft pick or sixth round draft pick like Sini. You know, fair or not, you expect more out of the Josh Jacobs, who is a second round draft pick, as opposed to the fourth round draft pick in Colton White. Mm-hmm. And the harsh reality is, you know, where you get drafted does help influence your position on a list like this and your perception in the organization. Because fair or not, a former first round draft pick is going to get more opportunities than the sixth rounder who gets one chance, blows it, and then you never hear from them again because he's a sixth round draft pick. He should be happy he got an opportunity at all. Yeah. Most of them don't. Yeah, that's Whereas the thing first... with this list. You know, it's not necessarily like who are the best prospects. It's who are the top ones in your opinion. 
now that you know we're this is the ninth year we're doing it, I can tell you the general trend is, and I never tell people how to vote. I want just your perception of what the top twenty five is, you know, whether or not that you value potential more. But generally, a guy who's on the cusp of making the NHL or is going to be an NHL call up or a guy that you expect to see in the NHL at some point are typically rated higher than guys that may have higher potentials but are nowhere near NHL level readiness yet. And, mm -hmm. and case in point, look at Tice Thompson, you know. Tice Thompson, overage draft pick. Yeah, he had a nice freshman year, but he's an overage draft pick in college for Providence. Like, you know, I'm not exactly thrilled here. I'm not expecting NHL future here. Now, he had a great season. Now we do. Mm -hmm. You know, now we say, oh, third leading scorer in the country? Yeah, maybe he could be an NHL player one day. You know? we'll, we'll take but, those. <laughs> but if Thompson, you know, has a rough season, he struggles at Binghamton, we just go, okay, he was a fourth-round draft pick. He had that one great year, and that was that. Good for him. At least he he, he hung out with Jack Dugan, um, <laughs> you know, and he hung out with Patrick Moynihan. Um, you know, whereas if he was a first-round draft pick, it's going to be, okay, maybe we didn't get it right now, but we still believe in the talent, so we hope we get it right next year, and we'll try again. But yeah, of course, running out of opportunities, as you said, But that's exactly it. Exactly. At some point that there's no hard and fast rule about when that ends, but it eventually does end at some, you know, again, McLeod was drafted in 2016. It's now 2020. Uh, we're going to enter the 2020, 21 draft at some point, sometime in 2021, maybe, <laughs> I don't know exactly when, maybe it'll be June, maybe it'll be October. I have no idea. You have no idea. Nobody has any idea at this moment. Uh, it's, we're getting close to five years away from him being drafted. And at that point, it, you, you stop caring about where you get drafted. And as we say, you got to start asking the question. If not now, then when? And with McLeod, I, you know, looking ahead at the list, not to give any direct spoilers, but there's already eight or nine names ahead of him who were drafted after him or joined the organization after him. So, you know, it's time. It's time for him to show something. It's time for him to show if he's capable of carving out a career in the NHL. And we all hope he is because he was a pretty, you know, costly draft pick. Yeah, 12th overall. I mean, say what you want about the 2016 draft class as a whole, but you expect NHL player to come out of your 12th overall draft pick in any year. I mean, it's 12th overall. It's not exactly a throwaway pick at the end of the first round where mm -hmm. you just kind of start throwing darts. Like, this was... Uh, you know, a significant draft pick. So, you know, unfortunately, that's the reality with draft picks sometimes. Is, as I said earlier, sometimes it's the organization that fails to address and help you get to the next level, but sometimes it's just the fact that the player just doesn't have it, and mm -hmm. it's not anybody's fault. It's just he just doesn't have it. This is what it is. So, but until then, he's ranked 16th on the list. So, you know, there's still enough people believing in him. Again, he was in everybody's top 25. You know, he was 20th on my list. He was 15th on your list. The community surveyed him at 16. You could read the post to see where Alex, Brian, Nate, uh, Chris, Devin, and CJ and Mike put him. Um, but every everybody put him in the 25. So it's not like nobody believes in Mike McLeod here. Like nobody, no, we're not ending the chapter and ending the book on Michael McLeod in New Jersey as as much as it sounded like we are. Yeah. It's just a case of like we're getting to a point where okay. The, the, if this is not happening, this ranking is going to start tumbling and mm -hmm. tumbling fast, which all, all things being equal, it's not so much of the ranking we're concerned about. It's the actual performance. Yes, yes. These but, rankings but mean nothing if none of these guys hit the NHL. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, just as a nice segue and a nice tease for next week is that we're going to talk about some new names, mm -hmm. guys who have not been on the 
25 list uh, of years past because they're new to the organization. And that is your tease for who we're going to talk about from 15th to 11th. Yeah, a lot of names that you know we haven't mentioned yet. A lot of names that uh, the fans know we haven't mentioned yet. So we'll get to those. Um, you know what? If there's no news next week, we, we may just do more than five players but for now it seems like five at a time is working pretty well because we can go into uh, a little bit of detail about each player that we mention here all right so that all being said that brings us to the end of episode 70 of the garden state of hockey if you've got any questions for us make sure to hit up all about the jersey on twitter or go on the uh, post that this podcast is in and leave a comment there you know we're always looking for content as the off season is back in the doldrums and is back in the dog days of not summer but the dog days of waiting to uh, see when and if it's actually um, gonna lead to hockey season this year so in that meantime uh, we're happy to answer any questions and give our thoughts on some of your questions as well and again, thank you all for listening and have a great day. The weather's been fantastic, so enjoy it while you can. <laughs>